Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of the True Crime Couple podcast. What's up guys? So today we wanted to release a kind of mini episode in between cases as a huge thank you for all of our listeners that we've been getting over the past two weeks. We were able to get up to spot 42 on the society and culture section of iTunes. That's awesome, isn't it guys? Very exciting. And we, as of right now, we just checked because we're obsessed with checking it. We have 9,500 listens. Guys, I just want to say thank you so much for that. I mean, it means the world to us that uh, we have such a following so quickly. I know, know? only three episodes in, so it's very exciting. So this is really exciting and... Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Very nice. Um... (laughs) We also want to announce some other cool, exciting things that we're doing. As of this morning, we launched our website, and the website is truecrimecouple.com, and we've turned all all of our episodes into mini blog posts, and you're allowed to comment on them, so we can comment back and forth, we can start discussions with the episodes, so it's really exciting, and we hope to see you there. For us, guys, the most important thing is your feedback. So, um, more feedback, the better off we are. Right. And our friend Amanda Lynn also started a discussion group on Facebook, if that's where you do your true crime discussions. It's called True Crime Couple Discussion Group. And we thank her so, so much for that. We can't thank you enough. Our second announcement is that we have also started a Patreon page. We just wanted to start this as kind of a Kickstarter. We know that we're new. But we want to give you a quality podcast. And to do that, we need some of your help. Like I say on the Patreon page, us doing the things, doing our episodes the way we're doing it right now in our bedroom with, you know, like bed sheets on tack to the walls, it's not working out for us. No, we really need some like real soundproofing. <laughs> and, and eventually our security deposit back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everything will be reinvested and support at any level will be appreciated beyond belief. We promise there are some awesome rewards that we're giving away no matter what level you're donating at. So if you want to give us some support that way, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. But if that's not for you, just enjoy, press subscribe, and maybe give us a great review. Because that helps us too more than you know. So tonight we have two genuinely terrifying tales that remain unsolved to this day. Both involve stalkers and the fear that they instilled upon their victims, the communities, and now us. The first case we will be covering is that of the Phantom Whistler of Louisiana. The story begins in Paradis, Louisiana, when one night a beautiful 18-year-old girl hears a wolf whistle outside of her window in February of 1950. At first, she thinks nothing of the occurrence, until it happens again, every night for months. Are you serious? Yes. That is crazy. See, you know what the visual I'm getting of this is that, well, obviously we don't know who that person is, right? You know, we don't know. Not so. But you know that one movie, uh, 
you, you're good with this. I'm not. But you know that one movie where they're going through this couple's going through some uh, some trouble, Always. and the guy brings the boombox up to the window oh, and tries say to say anything. Right, yeah. exactly. That's what I'm getting from this. But the creepy I think version. that's okay. I was gonna say that's a little bit more romantic. Right. Well, this is they, the creepy version. These two probably don't know each other. No. <laughs> the family of Jacqueline Cadeau believe that a man was standing beneath her window every night in the shrubbery. Everyone was unnerved by these nightly visits. When family members would go outside to see if they could catch the man, they would run out and no one would be there. Some nights, a blood-curdling moan would follow the stalker's song, frightening the young woman. It is also reported that Cadeau believed that the house was broken into a few months after the phantom whistler began his torment. So he went beyond this just whistling at night. He definitely broke into the house at least one time. Right, he escalated, for sure. Things are going to take an even more sinister turn when Jacqueline becomes engaged to 26-year-old Louisiana State Trooper Herbert Belsom. The night of the engagement, the stalker does visit Jacqueline. However, he seems to know that the object of his affection has accepted a marriage proposal from another man. On this night, his whistle is no longer a wolf call, but a menacing funeral dirge. Wow, I mean, this guy's escalating. I would be scared shitless. And those of you that are familiar with, like, New Orleans culture, Louisiana culture, this is the song that they play when they're walking through the streets during the funeral. So it's something that's very common down there. After this, the phone calls begin. A man on the other end of the line claimed that he would stick her and her younger 16-year-old brother with a knife if she followed through with the marriage. Jacqueline's mother recalls the first phone call, stating that the man on the line told her, I'll kill her. I'll stick a knife in her. Your daughter will never marry Herbert. Another call stated that the man would be at the wedding and Jacqueline would suffer the consequences immediately. At this point, Jacqueline began to lose her nerves. Like most women do in the 19... Everyone's always passing out. I don't know. That's weird. Kind of stops. It it seems like a trend that just didn't continue. (laughs) Women stopped passing out. Wow. At this point, Jacqueline began to lose her nerves as did most members of the sleepy town. This now is going to start becoming something that isn't just unnerving the Cadeau family, but it's also unnerving the whole community. So everyone kind of gets swept up in this phantom whistler thing. Citizens were afraid of this unknown man who must be a member of their community. So they pressured the police to act. Especially because, you know, her fiancé is now... A trooper. A trooper, so... The police are going to get highly involved, especially after it becomes a funeral dirge. Sheriff officers were stationed outside of the family residence. When members of the family would claim they heard the whistling, officers would search the vicinity. Their searches never revealed a perpetrator. See, one thing that makes me think that this is something that definitely happened is that other people are hearing this happen. So it's not just her saying, I hear this whistling. Right, this isn't just condensed to just the family saying this is happening. I mean, I mean, there are he- other people in the neighborhood are hearing the whistles as well. No, not other people in the neighborhood, but just people in the, like the family in the household. Okay. There's one occasion where the whistlers ha- uh, heard outside of the house, and that is going to be when... Jacqueline, her mother, and another employee that work at a factory together, while they're at work, they hear the whistling. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then a search is done of the premises, but nobody's found. I mean, obviously, he does this and kind of runs away. Gotcha. With the wedding date of October 1st, 1950 rapidly approaching, Jacqueline seemed like she was on the edge of a nervous breakdown. 
Her new in-laws offered that she stay at their house until the wedding night, and she's going to accept this offer. While Jacqueline was at her in-laws' house, her mother received a phone call back at their residence, and the caller said, tell Jackie I know she is at Herbert's house. Shocking. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. He definitely seems to know where she is at all times. Insane. On October 1st, 1950, Jacqueline marries Herbert with no incident. After their marriage, the whistling completely ended. It was reported in the newspaper that hundreds gathered to catch a glimpse of the girl who reportedly collapsed into hysteria from the Whistler's reign of terror. Hmm. Now, just a little side note here. After all of this is going to go down, the sheriff of St. Charles Parish is going to state that he thinks what happened was an inside job. And then when people ask him what he means by that, like, is he calling this a hoax? He kind of rephrases himself and says that he doesn't want to embarrass the person who did it. But he was kind of inferring that the family was involved. So that's an interesting, you know, little tidbit there. So this has become one of Louisiana's most infamous unsolved cases. People don't know what ha- it just... It's, it's creepy. It's unsettling. Yeah. And so people really speculate between who they think this whistler is. Did this family make it up? There's a lot of theories that are involved. So the first one is, could the Cadeau family have been the perpetrators? Her mother, herself, maybe her brother. She has a 16-year-old brother. Boys at 16. They, they do like, some crazy stuff. And they like to play jokes. And that's the ultimate joke. Especially, not just playing jokes, but playing jokes on your sister. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I don't have any siblings, but I know that that's a thing. It happens all the time. It could be it. It could be maybe her mother doesn't want her leaving the house, getting married. We are talking about the 1950s. It could be her. Maybe she wants attention. Maybe she likes this attention. It did say at the end that hundreds of people attended her wedding. So what you're saying is maybe this was like a publicity stunt to get a bunch of people to her like fairy tale wedding. Like she is the original like say yes the dress wedding girl. Oh yeah. man, Bridezilla. <laughs> the original Bridezilla. Uh, maybe that's what it is because she just wants attention. It's she's not the first or the last person to do something because they want attention. Absolutely. Um, but other people heard the whistling, so. There was somebody whistling outside her window and someone making the phone calls and someone broke into the house. I mean, that, that, those are extraordinary steps. And like I said before, you know, these are these actions are escalating from whistling to phone calls to breaking in. It's kind of crazy. Right. You know, um, could it have been her fiance? That's what some people say. I don't know about that. Maybe he just really didn't want to marry her. And this was the way that he could get out of it. Just scare her half yeah. to death. So she like goes somewhere else. I don't know. Um, let's see. Another thing is, now this has happened on a lot of occasions, and it's something called a collective delusion. A collective delusion is where the idea of a threat takes hold of a community and becomes part of a shared reality of that community. So there's a lot of interesting cases of this happening, these collective delusions. One example of this is going to be in 1938 in Halifax, England, a community is terrified for a week by somebody called the Halifax Slasher. And it's supposed to be a man who is attacking women with sharp objects. 
And he's not killing them, but he's just attacking them. And there's going to be like 10 women who come out saying they've been attacked until a week into this whole thing happening. Scotland Yard's going to get involved. One of the women admit that she inflicted the wounds upon herself. And then some of the other women are going to admit that they inflicted the wounds upon herself. But people just kept coming out saying that this was happening to them because it was a part of this collective uh, delusion that they were sharing together. That's very interesting. Right. Wow. Um, Another example of this is going to be in Pascagoula, Mississippi. It's something called the Phantom Barber, which which is similar to our Phantom Whistler that we have in Louisiana. So it's like Sweeney Todd. Yes. Okay. Well, not really. No one dies. Okay. And this person would go into people's windows and just cut their hair. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, I would like to just like. Call, you do need a haircut right now. I do need a haircut. Yeah. I would just love to call my barber and be like, "Hey, come over right now." And while you're sleeping. Not when I'm sleeping, but like if I was awake, it would be so, cool. Um, he is going to cut either like a little chunk piece of hair off of somebody, and in one case, he actually cut someone's hair off completely. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Very bizarre. And it turns out that he really had this, the man who gets prosecuted for this, he, and this happens in the 1940s, he was fighting with somebody and he wanted to get back at that family and he kind of created this whole big thing to hide the fact that this one family is being attacked because if he only attacked the one family, he would be suspected of it because he was fighting with the father over legal battles. So... But that terrified the entire town. And the entire town said this was happening to them. And there was a few cases of people who said they were attacked by the Phantom Barber. And then when the man was caught, he said he didn't do it. It's very interesting how one person or just one family in a town can send ripple effects throughout the entire neighborhood. Now, so maybe this is something that might have started where there was a whistler, but then they maybe stopped. But maybe she just continued it going. It's possible. You know, she liked the attention. This was all over the newspapers. Um, Another thing when looking at possible scenarios, now this is Louisiana, so it wouldn't be a theory section if voodoo wasn't involved. So people are going to say that maybe this is a person, the, the whistler, is someone who is a victim of a voodoo curse. So he may have... Um, been feeling the negative effects of like a Grigri curse where you could use it for positivity or protection but he's feeling the negative effects of it and the ritual went bad but he was a wealthy man and his family ended up putting him in an asylum that is something that is all over when you look at this case but once again very unlikely I'm assuming I agree yeah but we had to say it So one thing that I thought, last thing I want to say about this that I thought was really interesting was that the caller is going to refer to them as Jackie and Herbert. Wow, so they're like a first name basis now. Right, so you have to be familiar with the two people. I mean, these, wow, that's actually, uh, maybe he knew them. Maybe this person actually knew the both of them. Maybe this is someone who wanted to marry Jackie but couldn't. And then when Herbert's going to ask for her hand in marriage, then that's when it's going to become aggressive because this is a suitor, you know, that wants to be with her. Right. But it's going to remain unsolved. We don't know. I think it's bizarre that it stopped right after the wedding. Oh, yeah. Very weird. Very interesting. And if it's an inside job and it's somebody in the family... Hats off to him. Yeah. 
The, I, I, I really think the brother got away with the best prank of all time. It may be. <laughs> the second case we're covering involves a creepy unsolved stalker. Okay, so we're bringing everything full circle and we're bringing it back to New Jersey again. In June of 2014, a couple, Derek and Maria Broadus, and their three young children purchased a four-story, six-bedroom, four-bath, 3,920-square-foot colonial-style house in Westfield, New Jersey for a little over $1.3 million. Small purchase. The house was built in 1905 and sits on 0.46 acres of land. This house is incredible. With original features and woodwork, it could be considered a masterpiece. The house includes a utility room, storage room, workshop, recreation room, and a den just on the basement level. It's probably bigger than our whole apartment. (laughs) Oh, you got that right. A foyer, kitchen, living room, porch, dining room, family room, breakfast room, and a sunroom is all on the first floor. The sunroom has a fireplace, by the way. Following up a dark wooded winding staircase, you're brought to the second level, where you'll find four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a laundry room. The third level of the house holds two bedrooms and one full bath, as well as a storage room. There's even a little bit of attic space if you need some extra storage. So basically, this couple just purchased their dream home. It's beautiful. However, just after their move-in day, the couple receives a letter in the mail from a stalker who calls himself the Watcher. The letter reads, My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. He also states that he ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. It's pretty creepy. Yeah, really creepy. (laughs) I don't know if I'd want my three kids to move in there. Oh, absolutely not. And by July 18, 2014, the family receives two more letters. Now, when I first heard about this case, it horrified me and I was obsessed with it. I always was looking for it like online, like is a new letter going to pop up. It's really scary. So the next two letters that they're going to receive are going to state the following. Have they found out what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought to me. Will the young blood play in the basement? Who will have the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in which bedroom so I can plan better. The home's windows and doors allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I, it read? The Watcher. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I've requested? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them out to me. I asked the previous owners to bring me young blood. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. The watcher also states the broadest family has made the home so fancy and that it cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. That is so scary. I mean, I don't, I, I'm like lost for words because I mean, if I was reading these letters, I would say, okay, let's pack up our shit because it's time to go. Let's get all our belongings. I don't care if we sell this house. 
We need to leave now. Yeah, I would feel like an irresponsible parent if I let my children move into that house. When someone's threatening their life, basically. You're just a complete idiot if you want to stay at this point. I mean, I know people are going to say, oh, it's just letters. But, you know, time and time again, you know, history repeats itself. You know, these things start out small and they turn into bigger problems. Why are you going to ignore something? You know, if you have a threat, wouldn't you rather be safe than sorry? So I definitely would not move into that house. No, no way. I don't care how nice it is. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice, though. The new family that moved in then is going to reach out to the family that they had bought the house from through their realtor. The previous owners, who are named John and Andrea Woods, had purchased the house on November 29th, 1990. They had also received letters from the watcher, but they did not ex- disclose it to the new family. So frightened by these new letters and and out of concern for the safety of their children, the Broadus family never moves into the home. They purchased it for $1.3 million. I mean, it's not just, you know, this new starter home that they purchased. This is a lot of money we're talking about. The Broadduses are currently suing the Woods for not disclosing this information. Mr. and Mrs. Broadus are seeking nullification of their contract, punitive damages, and refund of the purchase price with interest which is total bs in this market you're not going to get interest mr and mrs woods responded by filing a lawsuit of their own against the broadduses accusing that the new the new owners are starting frivolous litigation and they're suing for defamation in february of 2015 the family had been through enough and placed the home up for sale at a listing price of 1.49 million Eventually dropping the house price to $1.19 million because nobody was buying it. Because when they received the letters, these letters were released to the police department and the media did have them. So people knew about the letters because the Broadus family released them. So nobody wants to buy this house because they know this is the house that's associated with the watcher. I mean, I don't blame them. No. At all. <laughs> I mean, I would be terrified because you want this person to be caught because you're... I would release the letters because I would want law enforcement to catch this person so that I can move into this house and feel safe. Right. Also, I mean, if if you're the watcher writing these letters, and maybe that these the, the couple that you're writing these to finally told the police, maybe that would make them not do it or kind of, you know... Back off back a little off bit. Back off a little bit. I, I, mean, I mean, probably not, but I mean, that would be my... Like, that's where my logic would be. Your thought process would be. Absolutely. Because you'd be a little bit more scared because you don't want to get caught. Yeah. Still, the house cannot be sold, and it's been rented out since 2014. So the Broadus family has been able to sell it. They're renting it. If, by any chance, anyone is interested in it, you can buy the house for $1.19 million. But just a little disclaimer, the taxes are $21,000 a year. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. How much money would it take for you to go live in that house? To live in that house. Let's just say it was bought for you or rented for you. Would you live in that house? Oh, and I wouldn't have to pay anything? Yeah. Oh, nothing. You'd be going there for free. Have you seen the woodwork? It's beautiful. Honestly. Would you do it? No amount of money could be given to me to put me in that house. That one bedroom would be a great studio. It would. But I'll tell you what. Not if I have to deal with crazy watches Watch. across the street. Well, we don't have children yet. Maybe once we got children, then I'd be like, all right, time to move. We don't have any young blood, so maybe he won't have interest in us. 
I don't either way. I just wouldn't <laughs> do it. You wouldn't catch me dead there. Okay, so as per these lawsuits with the Broadduses versus the Woods. So I looked into disclosure laws in New Jersey. Do you need to reveal if your home comes with your very own family of watchers that are hungry for young blood and running through the halls of your home? And this is what I found. There is a legal term. It's called caveat emptor. And the Latin phrase means let the buyer beware. It's an age old saying that is applied to real estate transactions. And it means that if the buyer isn't proactive enough to figure out what's wrong with the property, the seller can't be held responsible. However, New Jersey courts have carved out exceptions to this general rule under what's considered common law, which protects the buyers against sellers who fail to disclose material facts or who hide information about their property. So when I was looking through just the disclosure laws, the only section in which I think that the Broadduses could say that they weren't given enough information is in a category that would be called a stigmatized property. So a stigmatized property would be if there's some intangible problem with a property that the buyers cannot discover through inspection. A property may, for example, be stigmatized if it is affected by psychological or factors that have nothing to do with the physical condition, but affect whether or not it would be desirable to live in. So examples of some of the stigma include if a haunt, if a house is allegedly haunted um, or where a violent death took place. But in New Jersey, you do not have to disclose these things. But if the buyer asks you about them, you have to disclose it. So you don't legally have to tell someone, oh, someone was murdered in this house. Uh, we have a friend who just found out that someone was murdered in his house and he found out that it, he didn't have to be told about it. So it is something that happens in the state of New Jersey. You have to ask. And the Broadus has never asked the Woods if there is a watcher that comes with their house. In the Broadus's defense, though, <laughs> should you have to bring like a whole team of lawyers and investigators? Well, I now know that if I'm ever going to buy a house with you... My love. I'm going to ask, is this house haunted? Is there a stalker? Have you received letters? And was anyone murdered? Did anything happen around this property? Do you have continuous nightmares? Like, I want to know these things. I want to know everything. I guess it's what the world's come to. (laughs) So the case has been taken seriously by law enforcement. The Broaddus family sent letters to the Westfield Police Department, who went as far as to obtain a DNA sample from one of the letters. The DNA has been identified as belonging to an unknown female. Shocker. I was thinking it was a male. I was thinking it was a guy, too. That's crazy. Yeah. The letters were also analyzed by an FBI profiler at the request of the family, and the only determination that they could give was that the letters were written by an older person. I mean, but they just said my father watched it in the 60s, so it kind of just makes sense. So, In December... Of 2016, the Broaddus family applied to the township for a permit to subdivide the property. They want to raise the house and build two new ones in its place. But the planning board rejected their application, saying that the smaller lots were out of character for the neighborhood. This is a very affluent area. Obviously, I mean, the house was sold for $1.3 million. They kind of want to keep the appearances. This is a street. They live on a street called... It's The street's called Boulevard. And... It's one of the oldest 
streets in the town. So it's all these old, huge colonial houses. And they think that them knocking down this colonial and building two smaller modern ones is going to kind of mess up the site. And I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, you have these houses that are protected. They're very um, historic. Yeah, 1905 this house was built. That's beautiful. You don't want to mess with those. Right. So their application was rejected in January. And strangely enough, they receive a fourth letter in February. Hmm. That's a little questionable. And the they don't release this fourth letter, so we don't know what it says. But the Broadus's attorney, Lee Levitt, stated that on or about February 20th, 2017, the plaintiffs received a fourth letter from The Watcher. This letter contained specific threats and was more derogatory and sinister than any of the previous letters. The Westfield Police Department is working in conjunction with the U.S. Postal Service to determine the origins of this letter. So we don't know what it says, but they got a fourth letter. The timing is a little questionable to me, but a fourth letter is received. I mean, maybe it's not. I mean, in their defense, maybe the person who is the watcher found out that they were trying to raise the house and that's why the letter was sent. So I don't know because I don't know what the letter says. It's possible. I, you know, really quickly, uh, you know, I really thought it was a guy. And if this is true, then it is female. You know what I was thinking? Where I grew up in, you know, in the city, you know, you have a lot of nosy older women, uh, you know, that like to look. Oh, and, yeah. You know, uh, for example. That's basically me. Yeah. You know, for example, when my dad planted, you know, flowers or whatever, we were out in the garden, you know, all the older women would look. And they would like to have, you know, a voice in a neighborhood. Right. They want to know what's going so on. So this is very possible that it's like an extremist nosy neighbor, you know, that just needs to make sure that everything stays the way it's been. Right. But then I think, going on that theory, why would a person who wants things to stay the way they've been, why would they want to chase out a family and just bring in these renters? Because, like, for example, I think the renter that's there now is just a single guy who said, oh, I'm not worried about this. these letters. If they want this young blood, why are they scaring it away? Do you know what I'm saying? Why would they want to take the family element out if they want this sense of, you know, old schoolness? It's, what, it's quite possible. You know? Maybe they just don't like the whole deal with family. Maybe. You know, think about this. Maybe this woman is alone. And she doesn't mind if the guy across the street is uh, single. Maybe maybe she has a beef with family. A family's being maybe she there? has like, like a jealousy. She has some, like jealousy with like some family issues. Who knows? Well, as of recently, the broadest family has filed a suit in court to overturn the board's ruling. They're still trying to get rid of this house, and this case has gained a lot of attention since then. And it was recently analyzed by a group of criminologists and profilers. And this is what they're going to determine. From from only what they've seen in the letters, everything I read to you was the only things they're going on. The full letters, we don't have. And we don't even have the fourth one at all. So through what I read to you, they said, the person who sent these letters has deep-rooted issues. Did he suffer from a loss of money? Does... Do they come from a poor family? I mean, they said he, but we know it could be a female or a male. So does he suffer from a loss of money, come from a poor family, or once lived there and couldn't go back? 
Uh, do you want to, we don't want to ignore a theme that's repeated. It's true. The person keeps saying, oh, these rich owners, or you're making it so fancy. It needs to be returned. There's like this theme of that they think these people have too much money. Right. So maybe this is someone who couldn't afford the house. It's possible. And also, just to go back to what I was saying before, whether it's a male or female, you know, I was thinking, based on when the fourth letter was sent, also on top of that, you know, when they put in for those plans to subdivide the property, it could be somebody on the board within the town. This he or she could be on the board. You mean the fourth letter or all, th- all four of them? I'm, re- I'm referring to... All four letters and the and the watcher, so it's it's possible that they might be on the board in the town. Who's to who's to say that's not possible? It's true. I mean, I think that's. I mean, if it's somebody on the board, they can control to an extent who about goes what there, ha- who, who goes doesn't. there, what happens. But then, what's so special about this one house? Well, I mean, I've looked at the other houses on the street, and they're all equally as beautiful, if not more. Good point. You know, it's just so weird that it's just this one specific house. Well, there must be some sort of tie there. Right. And they're saying, so maybe this is someone who has wanted to live there since they were a child. And they couldn't or they got outbid. You know, Um, another profiler said this could be someone who is enjoying the impact they're having by terrifying strangers. It makes them feel powerful and they get a thrill from it. So that could be the case, too. This is just someone who enjoys terrorizing the family. If you're looking to terrorize people, though, why stick with one house, when Profiler said? It makes you worry that this person is mentally unstable and truly believes there's something about the house and in the walls and so forth. And that sounds delusional. So this could be a potentially very dangerous person that we're dealing with. And I think the family has a good point in staying away. And I think the renters are... I mean, I was joking when I said I would stay there. Obviously, I wouldn't. I think these renters are... Very bold for staying there. Well, they took... Because what's in the walls? Well, I don't, I don't know. know what's in the walls. I just know that the family took uh, the advice that I gave. Yeah. Get the hell out. <laughs> well, I would check the walls first. I would send people in to check the walls. I wouldn't even go as deep as that. I'd just leave. Screw what's in the walls. I just want to get out of there. Um, one expert thinks the watcher could be a paranoid person worried about a new neighbor while others said the writing style indicates a deep-seated anger. So that kind of goes on like what you were saying of maybe this is just someone who's like an overly involved neighbor who really wants to control who's living across the street. Um, so one thing that's interesting about this case is there was a movie that was recently put out on Netflix called The Watcher that is about this case. And obviously, you know, some of the details are changed and just a single couple moves in. And, well, I don't want to give any spoilers away for the movie. You can go, you guys could just go check out the movie on oh, Netflix if so you like it. Oh, it's so good. And I think that the aspect that the movie takes is very much what I think is happening. I mean, not to the extent, obviously, and so overdramatic the way the movie does it. But I think that that's what it is. And I just want to leave it at that because it's such a good movie. I loved it. John didn't watch that one with me. Nope. Now you will, because it's really good. So, some of the theories that are going around, of course, this screams out the Amityville haunting. Definitely. The house actually, from one angle, looks very similar to the Amityville house. It's actually really funny. And people say maybe the homeowners are the ones who sent the letters. Maybe they're 
looking for a book deal, looking for a movie deal. From what I looked into, they didn't benefit financially from that movie that came out on Netflix. So they didn't get any benefits from that. But maybe they're looking for something, just like the family from Amityville did. Another thing that people are saying is that maybe the pos- there's a possibility that this is just a huge prank and it's just kids in the neighborhood sending these letters, knowing it's scaring them. But I don't know if that's the case. I don't think it's the family and I don't think it's a prank because the Woodses, before the Broadduses, they got a letter too. And I would be curious to know when they got the letter. Because if they bought the house in 1990, when did they get this letter from the Watcher? I think... Knowing that would give a lot of details away too. Was it while they had the house up for sale or was it when they first bought it or was it sometime in the middle? Also, I mean, I get the whole prank thing, but whoever's, I mean, let's just say it's, you know, teenagers. You would have to really be, I mean, you have to be dedicated to send these letters. And also the way it's written too wouldn't be like a typical teenager way of speaking. No, I don't think so either. So I don't, I I think that's just BS. And I don't think, the only way I think that it could be the, current homeowners that sent the letters would be if the Woods family received a letter when the house was up for sale. But if they received it before then, then there's no way it could be the broadest family. Right. And it's just someone out there doing this. It's very, two very, very interesting cases. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this little mini episode that we decided to do to thank you all we promise there's going to be an episode out this weekend so you're going to get another one on saturday or sunday i'll be sure to let you know on twitter on instagram when the episode is going to be coming out and we just want to thank you again for all the listens and all the support we appreciate it so much means the world to us guys all right thanks have a good night bye guys